welcome to Real Talk for Real Teachers. I'm Dr. Becky Bailey, the creator of Conscious Discipline, an expert in education, child development, and a lifelong teacher and learner. For those listening who are not aware of Conscious Discipline, it is a comprehensive self-regulation program that integrates social-emotional learning, climate, and discipline. In general, it provides adults and children with the skills to be disciplined enough to set and achieve goals, conscious enough to know you're off track, and connected enough so you're willing to persevere. So what are real teachers? Real teachers have lives both inside and outside the classroom. Real teachers are real people who may suffer from childhood trauma, anxiety issues, or depression themselves. Real teachers may have trouble asking for help, just like some children in their classrooms. And yet real teachers show up day after day in the workplace to give their heart and soul to others. Real Talk for Real Teachers is a growing community of loving professionals who seek to love themselves as much as they love others. So today we're talking about anxiety, and that can just create anxiousness just hearing the word anxiety, because this is an important topic since anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the United States, affecting 40 million adults. That's 40 million people over the age of 18. That is 18% of the total population has some form of an anxiety disorder. And a lot of people believe that number is low, and the number really is truly up around 30%. Anxiety is so common, research shows that one in four adults will have an anxiety disorder at some point in their lifetime. So what are these anxiety disorders? Well, they're a group of mental disorders characterized by significant feelings of anxiety and fear. Now, there's a difference between anxiety and fear. Fear is about something that's happening right now. There is a lion after you. A car did swerve in front of you. Anxiety is worry about future events. It is persistent, excessive, and unrealistic worry about everyday things that could happen. These feelings are so overwhelming, they often cause physical symptoms such as fast heart rate, shakiness, nausea, shortness of breath, sleep problems, creating panic attacks, and cold, sweaty, numb, tingling hands and feet, and finally, dry mouth. I guess that's because you're gasping for air. So the numbers of people with anxiety, adults, is unbelievable. Now let's look at teenagers. 25% of all teens have an anxiety disorder, 30% of teenage girls. And now let's go a little younger. What about our youngest kids? Well, for anxiety in children, it's called the master imposter because it can be very disruptive. We think of anxiety as this anxiousness and someone kind of curled in the corner and like, oh, well, because anxiety affects the fight or flight response in the brain, the behaviors we see in young children can either be a flight response where you see children avoiding things or get very clingy, but you also see a fight response where they get very aggressive. So we don't usually think of aggressive children as having an anxiety disorder, but most often that is the case. So for kids with anxiety, any situation that is new, unfamiliar, difficult, or stressful 
counts as a potential threat. All new situations are like a lion chasing you into a corner. If anxiety seems like anger, you have to look for the physical signs, such as a racing heartbeat, a sick tummy, clammy skin, nausea, vomiting, shaking arms and legs. So you look differently. So we want to really be able to see the difference between an anger, frustration issue, and an anxiety issue. So on children that have outbursts, you must look at the physical symptoms to see the difference. There are about 11 types of anxiety in children. They all have one thing in common, worry. Some children have separation anxiety when a parent drops them off. Social anxiety, faces themselves create anxiety within them. Some children have selective mutism. They only talk at home. They don't talk in front of others. Some people have generalized anxiety disorder, but just worry about many things. And we also have hoarding disorders, and that allows us to make wonderful TV shows for everyone to watch. So today we're going to talk with someone who knows anxiety firsthand. She herself has had anxiety. She's watched it through her parents, and she's helped her daughter through anxiety. So today we're talking with Jill Moley. And Jill's worked in public elementary schools for 10 years as a teacher and a counselor. She has her BS in elementary education and her MS in counseling. She's a sought-after master conscious discipline instructor all over the country, and she's been doing that for 15 years. So, Jill, we can't wait to hear what you have to share with us. So welcome to Real Talk with Real Teachers. Hi, Becky. Feeling a little anxious, are you? I'm doing pretty good. I'm just messing with you, just messing with you. So tell us, tell us firsthand your own experience with anxiety as a child, maybe watching it with your parents or your own experience. So what has been your kind of life with anxiety? So I would say as a as a little girl, I didn't realize or recognize that my parents had it. Uh, my parents were both smokers. Um, so now as an adult, looking back, that was probably a tool that they used to to regulate uh, some of that. Um, but my anxiety all was wrapped around, um, at some level, separation anxiety, what you shared earlier. So leaving my mom in kindergarten, um, leaving and going to a friend's house was a very, very anxious for me. And it would cause lots of physical symptoms that always left me in the bathroom. Um, and, and so the only place that I felt safe was I, I knew I was going to get sick one way or the other. And so I needed to be in the bathroom. Um, so there was the separation. But I also had, um, as I got older, uh, anxiety about really kind of perfectionism. Anxiety that I wasn't going to get 100% on my um, spelling test. I remember very vividly when I was in third grade, I threw up every Wednesday. Every Wednesday. And um, that was spelling. I know, Uh. gal, darn. And so, um, and that teacher, you you had to write in ink pen because you couldn't make a mistake. So that was a little more anxiety provoking. And so my mom was a teacher. And by the third or fourth week, she was like, I can't, I can't keep taking off school and getting a substitute. You're, you know, you're sick every Wednesday. But she didn't figure it out at first that it was always on Wednesday. It was just kind of irritating. And so, her kind of go-to thing for me was, um, do I need to call the doctor? So 
Um, and I did not like to go to the doctor at all. I could see how that created anxiety about the doctor for the rest of your life. <laughs> exactly. Oh, you got an, you can't even imagine. At 46, <laughs> I got lots of stuff around the doctor's office. So, um, and that certainly wasn't her intention. She she is a very gentle, um, quiet spoken um, gal. So fear, she didn't even realize um, with that statement, you know, that she was invoking all of that fear inside of me. She just was paralyzed and had no idea how to help me. She just she just really didn't know what to do. You bet. You bet. Okay, so now, and there is, for those listening, a little genetic piece of anxiety. Uh, it is passed on through a family. Uh, but again, it's all genes are turned on by experience. So if your mother or your father had anxiety, you are predisposed to have uh, anxiety yourself. But again, it's that environment which you live in would actually turn that gene on. So you were predisposed to have this. And since it was unresolved, your mother got it from hers, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. it was unresolved within her, then it's easy to then see how it would be passed on to you. So now, what about your daughter? Did did you see your oh, daughter yeah. and did she have this characteristic also? Well, um, no, not at birth. She was much more of a difficult temperament at birth. And so, um, you know, I kind of thought I was in the clear, honestly, like, whew, okay, that was one success because that certainly was one thing I didn't want to pass down was that anxiousness. And it wasn't really until she was about four, which is, of course, ironically, when I remember having it myself, no projection, I'm sure, there. And so it started off um, at nighttime for her. So it showed its head a little bit differently. So in the beginning, I didn't I didn't recognize it. And I remember real clear calling you. Meg was um, Meg's now 17, turning 18 soon. And, and she was, I don't know, maybe three at the time. And I remember calling you and saying, um, I can't get her to go to bed. I'm still, I'm doing all the rituals. I'm doing all the stuff. And she's, she just won't stay in her bed. And, um, you know, the, the best advice that you gave me, because of course I was going back to my old story and like buying a new bear and making the room darker and no, no drinks after five and doing crazy stuff like that. And, and you said to me, so, what are you what are you thinking about when you're putting her to bed? And that was a, a big um aha for me. It was the first aha. I don't think I got it all the way at that point. But I could at that point then come downstairs and say to my husband, she's gonna be up in about five seconds. And it it gave me the freedom to not be mad at her anymore because I realized that I wasn't present with her. And I was I had just um left my permanent job and in a school system where I got a salary every month and I became an independent contractor. And so I was anxious about, was I going to really be able to hold up my end of what I told my husband we were going to do? And so I did a lot of my work at nighttime. And so when I was putting her to bed, I was kind of going through the laundry list in my head of all the things that I needed to do. And, and she was picking up on my anxiousness, of course. And so when she started coming downstairs, I just, I stopped being angry and feeling like a failure myself. And that was, that was kind of a turning point for me when instead of feeling angry that I couldn't do it with her, um, having an awareness that 
I, I just wanted her to feel better. And I didn't want her to experience it in the same way that I had. And I knew that my husband, he's like, got no clacker. You know, Becky talks about your clacker, you know, your internal uh, arousal state. And, and his clacker clacks about once every two hours. And so he's very, very, very calm. And so he could walk back upstairs and, you know, give her a little kiss and do a little ritual with her. And she would just, you know, go right to sleep. So I thought it was, you know, fixed. <laughs> All right. So uh, the worry in your head didn't help her go to sleep is what you're saying. Absolutely. Okay. So let's just back up a minute here because you said you thought you'd got off the hook because she was born with a difficult temperament. So you're thinking she's going the other way. You know, she's going to be a little fussy and a little angry, a little, you know, on that side. And again, I want the listeners to remember that anxiety is a master imposture in children. So what looks like one set of difficulties could have their root in anxiety. So peekaboo, anxiety found you. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay. So now go ahead. So now she's around four mm -hmm. and you have this realization. So what happened next? I mean, when did, okay. how did you start helping your daughter and helping yourself? Once well, you conscious awareness, now you're on a different track, right? Right. So, um, well, not a hundred percent actually yet. <laughs> um, because I thought because she was three and she started going to sleep that we fixed it. Like, because she was a good sleeper then. And so I thought, whew, okay. You know, while I thought that was going to be a, a series of long time, it, it seemed like it went away. And that was, that was kind of the sneaky part, um, was that it would, kind of ebb and flow. And sometimes that would catch me off guard. And so it was probably, gosh, maybe three or four years before it really um, showed its face in a big way again. She was probably um, seven or eight years old. And um, I was blessed working um, for Conscious Discipline. And, and so I took my family with me on some of the trips that I would go on. And that was when it really started to show its face. Um, I would bring her with me to the Conscious Discipline Institute that was seven days in um, Florida. And I, all of a sudden, she would be up at 11 o'clock. We'd put her down. She'd go to sleep. And at 11 o'clock, she's at the side of my bed and her body is shaking like, like tremor. I mean, like her whole body is shaking. And, um, and she would say, I'm going to be sick. I'm going to be sick. So of course, for me, that was um, super hard and super triggering because I wanted to ignore it because it, I really felt like a failure because uh, I just wanted with all my heart for her not to have to experience that struggle. That you've experienced. And, and, and so for the listeners now, let's put this together. Remember, anything new is very, very difficult for people with anxiety. So it was kind of laying low within Meg. And then Jill's going to take her to a new place with new people in a new hotel with a new routine, with a new this, uh, that was grander than probably she had experienced in her life. Would you say that's true? Agreed. Yeah. So then it kind of could come out more and show its little head. And the beauty is that gives you an opportunity now to, to truly deal with it. So what happened at that point? 
So luckily, <laughs> I was with you. <laughs> and um, that worked out really well for us. Um, and so at that point, I didn't realize um, what you just said. I didn't realize that it was the new hotel, the new city, the new experience, the bigger experience, lots of people. I really just hooked it to the plane um, because that's what she talked about. So she just talked about the plane. And so that's kind of, I got um, narrowly focused. And so that would be a big suggestion of mine um, for folks is not to get lost in the words, um, to really hear the message from whatever the um, experience is that you're going to. So anyway, so we go work with you. And, um, and, and so the first thing that you suggested that I do is um, I name it with her. And we had never even considered doing that. And so um, she named it The Funny Feeling. And um, it was amazing. Just even in that week, she could quickly uh, be able to delineate, was she ill or was she having the funny feeling? Like really fast, she knew the difference. So then when we knew that it was the funny feeling, we would begin to, you know, use some strategies and some tools. So what I, I realized when I was asking her what was upsetting her, what I actually realized after Becky asked us to acknowledge that feeling was I was asking her to think about her feeling instead of to just feel her feeling and regulate the feeling. And that shift made things very quickly um, begin to change. And she really began to um, manage and regulate those feelings significantly differently after that. If you can imagine this, thinking about why you're anxious, in essence, is like a panic attack in a bottle. Here was what I didn't realize probably until maybe, gosh, I don't know, two years ago. She's 17, so, you know, I'm a little bit of a slow learner. But um, what happened was when I was with her in Florida, my husband wasn't with us. And so we would be at a restaurant and the funny feeling would come at the restaurant and I would end up sitting in the bathroom with her in the restaurant. And it didn't always seem like um, I was able to deescalate her. Like sometimes it felt like we just needed to leave the place um, in order for the um, anxiousness to, to go away. Now what I understand is I was so triggered and I became angry in my anxiousness that that she was looking strange to people or that you know whatever story i had made up in my head so i would find myself becoming angry like okay breathe and just get over it and so i really wasn't able to be her person yeah and again as you're listening to this you can see how they're called anxiety is the master imposter so your anxiety in this moment manifest and looked like anger but its Absolutely. source was anxiety. Absolutely. And I think that the other thing that folks need to really understand is, um, while you were guiding me, the struggle was part of my growth. Like it, um, I needed to, I needed for it to not go away right away so I could really learn about myself and not just try to fix her. And, um, and so while I was using all of those steps with her, I f it finally clicked one day when I was at home that I, I couldn't do it for her. And so um, what we did from that point forward was um, when the funny feeling would come, we would both know we need dad. 
And so he would download us both. So she would sit on his lap and I would sit next to him, you know, real close, touching his arm and his leg. And, um, and he didn't really have to like do any big fancy thing. He just was this energy of stability and this source of amazing calm. And it was like we could catch his calm. Yeah. And you both allowed him to be your person. Yes. Uh, which is an amazing thing that uh, sometimes is hard for a mother to say, in this specific situation, I am not your best person. And and that's hard for a mother to say because mothers are supposed to be everything and all things. So to say, I can't do this, but, you know, I know who can. And so that took a lot of courage. That was big. That You're right. That was a humongous part of it. And um, so then it was, again, a slow learning um, experience for me. But then I truly got and taught the safe place at such a deeper level because what I really realized then when she and I were together and the funny feeling would come, I would channel him. And for those who aren't familiar with conscious discipline, the safe place is a um, place in the home or in the room that is a self-regulation learning center. It's a place you go to practice your skills of regulating emotions. And it has certain steps within it to help you actually regulate your feelings and be conscious of your thoughts and solve your problems. And so I could become a safe place for her because I could channel him. And, you know, once you shared that the safe place isn't about breathing um, and it's not about, you know, a, a cozy chair, it really is about being able to experience that feeling again and in another place. And so and let's go back, stop right there. So that safe place then is the ability to experience that feeling and the safe energy that allows it to be. Is that what you're saying? Mm hmm. Okay. And so I'm going to back up just a hair. So as you're learning this, you're, you're, you're sharing with our listeners a very, very important process that you have to be co-regulated before you can ever learn to self-regulate. And what your husband did for you is he gave you that experience of co-regulation. You sat in his presence, in his energy that felt secure to you, in his calmness. And for the first time, you felt that he co-regulated you. And once you were co-regulated, you called it channel him, you were able then to co-regulate with your daughter. And everyone needs to know this because a lot of kids show up in, into our classrooms and into our lives, and they've never felt co-regulation in their life. And so until we offer it to them, if, until we can co-regulate them, they will never learn to self-regulate. And we can stand in front of them till we're blue in the face going, breathe with me, trying to get them to do some kind of breath when we're anxious, angry, or an unstable force in front of them, and it will never, never be helpful. So it's interesting and very powerful that you were able to sit with her and be with her and help her regulate anxiety because a lot of people want to ask this question. What is this anxiety about? Why are you anxious? Do you know why you're anxious? What is it that you're worried about? And those questions 
asked you to analyze an emotion. And when you analyze something, you're in the higher centers of your brain. You're thinking about an emotion. You can't think an emotion away. You have to be with it and allow it to run its course and help it in a physiological way through your strategies of breathing and relaxing. Thinking about anxiety is worrying about anxiety. So we're doing exactly what uh, makes it worse. So no need to ask your child, why are you anxious? What are you anxious about? Have them name it and teach them how to regulate it. Okay, so now you've learned how to co-regulate from Dennis, your husband, and now you're able to offer it to your daughter. So take us from there. Well, so it was at this point, I was doing a training somewhere else and I was teaching something and and you brought another point that I think is real critical for listeners because what was confusing to me was I just kept saying to you, um, like, where did this come from? Like, did I have a specific, I don't, I don't recall a specific trauma. And one thing that, that you had mentioned was that when, um, it was likely that when, cause my mom, my memories of my mom are that she always helped me. She always, so I was never, um, not, um, held, but there's a difference between holding someone and co-regulating them. And so she had such an anxious energy that while she was absolutely um, keeping me safe, she wasn't emotionally able to help me regulate. And, and not because she was not trying hard, because she was trying hard. And I think that teachers need to understand when they say the safe place isn't working, um, that sometimes they have to look inside themselves and really notice, is their stomach anxious when the child starts to erupt and they tr- start to try and use um, the safe place? So I just think that that's just an important point is that my mom didn't do it wrong. She just wasn't able to access um, her uh, ability to calm her own self and and I think that that's just important. It's not like I was the neglected child. Um, and and you got to think about this, that your mother had been to a certain age, and there's a good chance that it's either her mother or her father. She was never co-regulated. So she couldn't offer what she never experienced no more than you could offer what you hadn't experienced until you discovered it with your husband, how he was co-regulating. And you go, oh, I get it. That's what it is. So, you know, this isn't about being bad or good or doing something wrong. This is about being of service to others and being conscious of what happened and being able to uh, ask for help and get help as you ask for your husband's help. Exactly. And so what what happened from there was it seemed pretty smooth sailing again for a lot of years, um, maybe three more years. And then all of a sudden Meg was playing competitive soccer and she was getting these terrible leg cramps, terrible leg cramps. So we were looking up at on Googling, you know, eat bananas, stretch. And it was interesting when I was on the sideline, I would become embarrassed because she would ask to be taken out of the game. And it was usually, um, of course, took me a minute to figure this out, like three games, but it was always when things were really intense and it was bad timing to ask to be taken out because you could, you know, cause the other team to win because you're not whatever. And so three games after we're doing all these bananas and stretches and all of that, I looked at her and I said, oh my gosh, do you think this is the funny feeling? And she was in seventh grade. 
And she was like, oh my gosh, mom, it is. It totally is the funny feeling. And I said, it makes sense, right? Because it's an intense time. So your point about that it um, continues to come back, that, you know, in the beginning, I didn't, I didn't recognize that because it seemed like she conquered it. And so like, dust your hands off, you're all done with that. But then what was so cool, after we had co-regulated, then she didn't even need me or Dennis. She was able to flip that feeling like in moments, like on the field, just by knowing it was the funny feeling. What worked for her, and I think everybody has a different tool, um, but what worked for her was a little mantra. Um, So Becky, you gave me a little um, like credit card thing that said, I'm safe, I'm calm, I can handle it. And that just was always her little mantra. And so she would just, you know, kind of center herself and I would see her out on the field kind of doing it. And then she just like right back. I mean, like she didn't even have to go out of the game. And now she's um, a senior in high school and phenomenal. I mean, like, gosh, I mean, I think to myself, I wish I could be like her when I grow up because I, you know, I'm still a second language learner of conscious discipline. So while I don't have to take medication or anything like that for anxiety, I, I still wrestle with it a lot. And so people are coming over for Thanksgiving and I'm running around like crazy and putting things down in a huff and um, she'll walk up to me and put her arms on my arms and say, mom, we got this. It's all good. Just breathe. And I got to tell you, when I was growing up, when my mom ran around the house like a crazy loon, we were like, get away, mom's crazy today. Like we weren't like going up to her and seeing it as a call for help. Like we just didn't see it that way. We were like, scatter. She's crazy right now. And so it is, it is just so inspiring to me that it is, it is just who she is. Um, I was at one of her dance meetings and they were giving out funny names to people and they call her the mom. And they said, because she just is calm no matter what, no, no storm, you know, shakes her boat and she just there, she's always the one that they go to. So now she's just a huge service um, to kids and even better um, when she graduates, um, she plans to go to college and be a teacher. Well, there you go. So now, has how has all this experienced, in kind of a short sum up, how has all this helped you with the children that you see in the classroom and the teachers you see that may have anxiety? We got 40 million adults with anxiety disorders. How has that helped you with others? Oh, wow. I mean, the, the empathy um, that I have for folks who come to me in the beginning and say, this isn't going to work and this isn't going to work about the safe place and this isn't going to work and this isn't going to work. Now I, I know they don't need information from me. They don't, they don't need me to talk to them about what to hang on the wall or how many time, how many minutes a kid can be there. Or can they go on their own? Like I used to, in, in my early training days, I used to get caught in, in what they were asking me and not really hearing what they were needing from me. Yeah, you were going for the banana and the stretching again. Exactly. Yep, <laughs> exactly. And now I'm able to, you know, really hear the teacher and or the principal or the parent or whomever and just offer understanding. And in that moment, every single time they answer their own question. 
Yes. And so for those listening, all these what if, what if, what if, or what if this happens? What if that happens? What if this? What if that? If you listen to that, that's worry about the future. And if it becomes excessive, it's constant, it's always there, then that is called anxiety. And so, and we hear that a lot, certainly in in workshops and stuff. What about this? What about this? What if this? What if that? And you can hear that anxiety. So that's important for others to know about it. Now, you had a a major pride moment with your daughter now that she's going to go to be, she's, first of all, she's going to be a teacher so she can help others, but she had to write an essay. Mm -hmm. And uh, you shared that with me. And I thought that was one of the most beautiful things I have ever heard. And I was wondering if you're willing to read that or share that with our listeners, and then we'll close this out. Oh, Becky, I would absolutely love to share Meg's notes. And even better, Maggie is sitting right here next to me. So I'm going to have her read that letter to you guys. Hi, guys. I'm Meg Moley, and I did write this letter. Um, I wrote it for a college scholarship that I'm applying for. So here it is. As a child, I struggled with anxiety. Many nights I would sleep in the bathroom worried about what was happening the next day. My mother, a national behavioral consultant, spent years as I was growing up, helping me learn from my anxiety. Every time I would freak out because we were flying somewhere or it was the first day of school, my mother would sit with me in the bathroom all night, coaching me to conquer my anxiety and not let it have a hold on my life. Lucky for me, all those nights spent in the bathroom paid off, and now I am able to perform in front of hundreds of people and fly all over to experience so many wonderful things. Now I am able to be strong for my friends who are struggling or are nervous about an upcoming event. I have become a mom to my friends. They know that I will be there for them to talk to or just to sit and think. I believe that there are lots of other children like me, ones who struggle every day with simple things because of what the voice inside their head is saying. I hope that those children have a person to help them learn how to cope with their anxiety. Unfortunately, I do not think that there are enough adults who take the time to actually sit down and help a child, or if they do sit down with that child, most do not have the skills to give them the best possible chance to conquer their anxiety. My mother started out as a teacher, but then found her passion as a national behavioral consultant because she found that while she wanted to help children directly, she also wanted to help them indirectly. She did this by going straight to the teachers and administrators teaching them ways to help children regulate their behaviors so that in the future, when they are adults, they will be able to regulate on their own instead of relying on others. My grandmother was a teacher, my mother was a teacher, so some would say teaching is in my genes. I have always loved being with children. Ever since I was in middle school, I have known that I wanted a career that involved helping children in any way that I could. I have decided to study elementary education in college in the hopes of becoming an elementary school teacher and change as many lives as I can. As a teacher, my mission will be to be the nurturer to the children that I teach like my mother was to me. I want to help them feel that they are safe and that they will get through it if they breathe and understand that they have the power and they can handle it. My mother has taught me a lot about myself and what is happening when I feel anxious and scared and how to handle those feelings. Now that I know my body and how to regulate myself, I'm ready to pass that on to the children I teach. My passion is to lend a hand in whatever way that I can. If I can help one kid realize that they are in charge of their feelings and that they have the power to take control of their feelings, then I will feel as though I have won. 
So that's my letter. Thank you, Becky, so much for letting me uh, share that with you guys. Now I'll pass it back to my mom. Wow. That kind of is leaves me almost um, speechless uh, as I hear her read that letter. I know, Becky, uh, when I started this with her and she was six months old, um, the road felt so long then. I know that folks that are listening uh, maybe in the the depths of it, and to be on the other side is just um, such an amazing experience to watch. And I just really hope that people can really honor that the struggle really is the growth. That that Meg and I's relationship is incredibly strong because we kind of got in it all together and struggled through. And on the other side, the pride that I have to know that she can help her friends and ultimately that she wants to continue and be a teacher herself and do just what you know, you've know you taught me to do, which is continue to pay it forward. Well, that certainly is a beautiful compliment to a long journey and a generational journey uh, where it actually stops with Meg. I just want to say, Becky, um, thank you so much for allowing me to share my story and Meg's story so that folks know that there's nothing bad or wrong about having anxiety. And the biggest um, piece of, of handling it is just acknowledging it. And once you acknowledge it, then you have um, a plethora of tools in front of you that you can use to regulate it and then um, pass those skills on to others around you. Beautiful. And I was going to ask you what the steps were for tomorrow, but you went ahead and told us what our steps are for tomorrow. And I think uh, what a great gift. What a great gift that you're willing to share your story. Meg's willing to continue the story. And the folks listening get to benefit from the story. So, Jill, thank you so much for joining us and again for all you do. And for those listening, until next time. I wish you well. For more episodes of Real Talk with Real Teachers by Dr. Becky Bailey, visit ConsciousDiscipline.com forward slash podcasts. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app.